God's word for us today is from the book of Philemon. Would you stand out of reverence for God's word? We'll be looking at the first seven verses of Philemon. That's the end of Paul's letters, right before Hebrews. This is a tiny one-page thing. Okay, please listen to this word with reverence and awe. Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house, grace to you and peace from God our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. The grass withers and its flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. You may be seated. Perhaps we could sustain a thought experiment, and it is merely a hypothetical thought experiment this morning. But if you were tasked with choosing the books of the Bible, which ones would you have chose? Merely hypothetical. Maybe the book of Genesis. That's pretty important. It's the book of beginnings. And it tells us about how the nation of Israel got formed. It tells us about the covenantal promises of God. You'd probably want to follow that up with the book of Exodus, which tells us about how God redeemed his people and did form them into a nation. You want to know how things went with that nation. So maybe you include First and Second Kings, Chronicles, Samuel. Certainly we would want the, the Psalms. The the hymn book of the people of God, which tells so glorious of the glories of our God and celebrates the heights of Israel's reign uh, in David and the hope of the Messiah. Speaking of the Messiah, you'd want the great prophetical books, such as Isaiah, which tells us of the coming servant of the Lord. When you get to the New Testament, you need the fourfold Gospels. You also want those deep doctrinal books, such as Romans and Galatians. You'd want to know how things are going to end finally, so you'd like that book called Revelation. But would you choose a little letter of Paul to Philemon? This book is 335 words in Greek. It just takes up one page. And it seems like it's about something pretty mundane. Paul is writing to an individual, and he's talking to him about his relationship with his slave, and how to deal with that. Does it really seem like something which deserved the spot in the New Testament? Well, ultimately, this is a thought experiment. We don't choose what's in the Bible. We recognize the Bible as it is, self-authenticating, the breathed-out, infallible Word of God, and that includes the book of Philemon. And that is why it is worthy of our attention. Regardless of its small size and stature, This book contains glorious truths of the gospel of grace. 
As the church, we do not get to decide this. So we, it demands that we study God's word in all of its breadth and all of its fullness. And that's what we're going to be doing for probably three sermons here, reflecting on this glorious little letter. As we study this epistle over these weeks, we will encounter God's abundant grace. And we'll be challenged to respond in gratitude, to live out the kinonia, the fellowship of the saints which we have in the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us. Today, specifically, we're focusing on the first seven verses of this letter. And we'll see that in Christ, God gives his grace and mercy to his people in such a way that the knowledge of this results in Christians sharing that love and faith in Jesus and gracious kindness to God's people, understanding that he gave himself for us and that in the church there's no place for status of master and slave or all these other things which the world classifies. But in Christ, we all receive grace, mercy, and peace in equal measure. So we're going to consider this passage under two simple headings. It's really to orient us to the letter as a whole. We'll just be looking at greetings, verses 1 through 3, and gratitude, verses 4 through 7. So let's consider that first point, greetings. A typical Greco-Roman letter would introduce who's writing it, who he's writing to, and then they would often offer a, a wish for good health for those to whom they are writing. So Paul begins this letter by saying, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker. The first thing to note is how Paul identifies himself. You're writing a letter to a wealthy man who owns a slave, and you're writing on behalf of this slave. That's what Paul is doing in writing to Philemon. Wouldn't you think that you might want to use your best title? You know, maybe servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe apostle. If you're going to ask him to do what Paul is going to ask him to do, you might want to pull out your credentials. You're an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. But what does Paul do? He says, Paul, a prisoner on behalf of Christ Jesus. Now, there's different reasons for why he identifies himself as a prisoner for Christ Jesus. And the one is the literal fact that right now, in this situation, Paul was in prison as he was writing this letter. This is one of Paul's prison epistles along with Ephesians, uh, Philippians, and Colossians. Uh, Most importantly to this letter is the connection between Colossians and Ephesians. These regions were close together, and you'll see the same names being used. You'll see Onesimus and Epaphras, who was a pastor there. So these are connected, and they should be read in conjunction. So the literal reason that Paul says this is that he is in prison right now. And the imprisonment is debated. Uh, Some will argue for Caesarea imprisonment, Roman imprisonment, but I think the most likely is Ephesian Ephesian imprisonment, which we'll talk about when we uh, get to a more relevant portion. But besides this fact of his earthly situation of being in prison, Paul has another good reason for identifying himself as a prisoner. And it's because he's writing to a wealthy man but he's writing on behalf of a slave. In the ancient world, being a slave and being in prison, 
you were considered on the same social structure. And Paul, in writing this letter, he's not identifying himself by any great title, but he finds his value in being a prisoner on behalf of the Lord Jesus Christ, who even lowered himself to the form of a servant for us. So in this brief description as a prisoner for Christ, Paul highlights his dual citizenship. In the eyes of the world, he's on the lowest rung of society. He's suffering in prison. But in the eyes of the Lord, he is suffering on behalf of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is a blessed condition. So already, Paul is gearing our mind to stop thinking just in categories of the world. Masters and slave, imprisoned and free. We need to understand that our citizenship is in heaven. And how we act with our brothers and sisters in Christ must reflect this fact. Paul is a prisoner for the sake of Christ and his gospel, which is a blessed condition. Paul also sends greetings from Timothy, our brother. This is Paul's closest colleague, his child in the faith. He mentions him here. Perhaps Timothy was helping him write this letter, as Paul would often have a scribe. But he also may be recommending Timothy here as the one who will carry the letter and deliver it to Philemon. In any case, Timothy is a beloved friend of Paul and a fellow worker in the ministry, and Paul is mentioning him as a greetings to this. And Paul extends his greetings to Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. We don't exactly know the connection of Aphia and Archippus to Philemon. Maybe Aphia was Philemon's wife and Archippus his son. Maybe Archippus was the pastor of the church in this Colossian region, and Aphia was his wife. We don't know exactly. But the important point is this. Paul was writing a letter to a single man, but he's calling to witness the other known leaders in the church. This conversation is not happening in private. The church will know and have this letter read. In other words, Paul is bringing an accountability, both for him and Philemon, to see how this gospel reconciliation comes about. So he's calling the church in Colossae to be a witness. So in accordance with Greco-Roman letter writing, Paul has identified himself and Timothy as the senders, and he's identified the addressees, primarily Philemon, but also Aphia and Archippus and the church in their house. Now, Paul does a little play on the Greco-Roman way of greeting. They would often say, Karin, which would mean greetings and welcome. But Paul does something different, this characteristic of him. He says, Karis. It sounds very the same, but it is is grace. And it's backed with great, rich theological meaning. Paul is using a Greco-Roman form of writing a letter, but he's filling it with the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, theologically rich. It's not mere greetings. This is him calling down the blessing of God's promise in all of Scripture of his mercy and his grace. And even Paul adds the Jewish element to this as well, as he says, Shalom, Ereni, or peace to you, grace and peace. Moreover, this announcement of grace and peace to them, it's not a mere wish or fancy. It's not a buttering up as sometimes you would do in letter writing. This is grace and peace, which most certainly comes to you. Notice from God, our Father, 
and the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice how Paul identifies Jesus Christ as that divine source of God's promise of grace and peace. This is how Paul begins this small letter. He is writing directly to Philemon, yes. But he is also calling to witness Aphia, Archippus, and the whole church in their house. All of this is important. As an individual to an individual, Paul is speaking to Philemon in this letter. And Paul has a difficult request to make of Philemon. Paul is speaking to Philemon about how to deal with the situation of his runaway slave, Onesimus. Later, we will talk about Onesimus and the situation which caused this letter to be written. But for now, it's just important to understand that Paul is writing on behalf of this runaway slave. And that in this culture, Philemon, the master, had every right to punish this man severely or even to put him to death. So it's a serious thing that Paul is doing. It's a big request which he is making. So he addresses Philemon, and he calls on all of the church to bear witness to what he has to say to Philemon on behalf of Onesimus, his slave. Likewise, in his providence, the Holy Spirit calls on us, the church of God, members of Christ with Philemon and Onesimus, to hear and bear witness to what Paul, an apostle, has to say in this letter even to us. We are not mere spectators Of, but are participants in that grace and peace which is from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, too, we are called to live out the implications of what is being taught in this epistle, the implications of the gospel, even as we see through the relationship of Philemon. Which brings us to our next point. We have just considered the greetings. Now, let us consider Paul's gratitude. Paul has just offered his greetings to Philemon, Aphia, and Archippus in the church in his house. Now he begins to proclaim gratitude for Philemon. Whereas the the greetings was offered in the plural, y'all, this now changes. Paul switches to, in verses 4 through 21, the big, main, meaty section of the letter, and it's all going to be addressed to the singular Philemon. And then he'll return at the end of the letter to that plural, you all. So Paul states, I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers. Paul has opened this letter by offering that greetings, by offering charis, grace, which is from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now he says, evchristo. The same word, it just has a little extra added to it, that He is now offering thanks to God always for Philemon. And at the end of this letter, he is going to again say, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be to you. In other words, this letter begins with grace. It's saturated now with a gracious thanksgiving. And then it will end with again this note of grace to you. Paul wants us to understand all that's going on in this letter to be understood under the umbrella of God's grace in the Lord Jesus Christ. And in recognition of God's grace, Paul says that he thanks God always when he prays for Philemon and his ministry. That's a serious claim. He's saying, every time I pray, 
I always remember you. It might be slightly hyperbolic, but it reminds me of my grandmother who would always pray every morning for her hundred plus greats, grandchildren, and grandchildren. So maybe Paul was like that. But in any case, this is a big statement that on Paul's daily prayer list, Philemon is one of the people that he is thankful for. His ministry and hosting the church in his house. In verse 5, he specifies why he gives thanks. He says, Because I hear of your love and the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. Paul says that he gives thanks always for Philemon and his prayers because he hears of his love and his faith. In verse 19, we will see that Philemon was most likely converted through Paul's ministry. Now he's saying that he still hears of his love and his faith. It's probably two or three years after the fact, but Paul is still getting reports. Possibly Onesimus, his runaway slave, is actually the one who tells him about the love and faith which Philemon still has. Notice that Paul gives thanks because of two things. Because he hears of your love and of the faith that you have towards the Lord Jesus Christ and for all the saints. This verse can be a little difficult to translate and to understand. We understand love and faith towards the Lord Jesus Christ, but what's it mean to have faith towards all the saints? But I don't think it needs to be that complicated. Philemon's love and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ is made evident from and manifested in the love and faithfulness which he has in serving and caring for the saints who meet in his house, the members of the Lord Jesus Christ. Whatever you do to the least of these, you do to me. Or whoever receives one of these receives me and him who sent me. If we love Christ and we believe in Christ, we will love his people and will faithfully serve them. And this ought to be manifested. It ought to be something that is heard. When, when you perhaps are done with college here, or graduate school, and you go away to another area, Pastor Fick and I will want to hear of your love and faith, which is still being manifested in the church, and in love and faithfulness. In reflecting on Philemon's love and faith, which he has manifested, Paul adds in verse 6, And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of of Christ. This verse anticipates Paul's main request that Philemon receive his runaway slave Onesimus as a brother. And be sure that is the main thing that he wants out of this letter that he would receive Onesimus as a beloved brother in Christ Jesus, as an equal in the Lord. Paul here refers to a more general desire, though, in anticipation of that that the sharing of Philemon's faith would be effective. The word translated here as sharing is kinonia, which means a fellowship. I'm sorry, I'm using a lot of Greek, but this letter is just so rich with these words that in Paul's other letters, they have such a rich theological meaning. Paul's talk about grace and fellowship. We need to look at that in his other letters, particularly Ephesians, Colossians, because then we see because a lot of people think Philemon's not really about theology. Some scholars say very 
hard and stupid things about this letter. But the truth is, this is one of the most manifested outworkings of the theology that Paul has in his other letters. So it's important to note these key terms because they remind us of other places in Paul. Kinonia, a sharing of faith, is something that we have in union with Christ and communion with him. Later, Paul will describe himself in verse 17 as a kinonos, a sharer in the gospel, a partner in the gospel with Philemon. So when Paul refers to the sharing of Philemon's faith, he is praying that his faith would be effective for the full knowledge of every good thing. What Paul is praying for here is that Philemon's sharing in the benefits of the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ would be manifested in the fellowship of the saints, even as it has been, but even more so, that his knowledge would come to more fullness and that his faith would be evidence and his evident love for the people of God, of whom Onesimus now belongs. In the context of this letter, we know that Paul is hoping that Philemon will not punish his slave, but will receive his runaway slave, Onesimus, not according to the world's standards, as a slave which needs to be punished, but as a loved brother in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's a big ask. But this is why Paul emphasizes the need for faith to become effectual for the full knowledge of every good thing, which is ours and note always, every good thing which is ours in Christ. All that we have received, all that we are in Christ, this is given to us so that we might serve the saints and extend that grace to others. Paul, for his part, does not leave Philemon here, but encourages him by saying in verse 7, For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother. Because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Here Paul reaffirms Philemon as his brother and affirms the joy and comfort which Paul has personally received through his love shown in the refreshing of the hearts of the saints. Again, the the word translated here is splachna, which refers to really the inner bowels, the, the inner seat of the emotions. It's translated as heart, rightly. The same word will be used in verse 12, referring to Onesimus. And Paul says, I am sending my very heart to you. And in verse 20, in one of my favorite verses, Anapostone mutas vlakna in Christo, refresh my heart in Christ. And do you know how Paul's heart is going to be refreshed? through Onesimus being received as a brother by his earthly master. At this point in the letter, letter, Paul is encouraging Philemon in the fact that he has derived much joy and comfort from his love because Philemon has loved the saints well and he has refreshed their hearts. All of this is the intro to Paul's letter to Philemon. Paul gives both a gracious greeting to Philemon, Aphia, Archippus, and the church in his house. But he also gives thanks to God for the work which he has done through Philemon. In all of this, we see the grace of God at work in Paul. Paul is caught between a master and slave, yet he's able to address Philemon 
with love and grace. More than this, through his prayer, Paul is hoping that the love and faith of Philemon, which he knows of, and he does not doubt, will be manifested in this particular situation of a runaway slave being returned to him. Even as Philemon has refreshed the hearts of the saints, Paul now asks him to refresh his heart, whom he is sending to him, Onesimus. The same truth hits us. All of us who have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, we have received the grace and peace of God the Father, which is in Jesus Christ our Lord. As such, we are called upon to receive God's grace in Christ and to seek to refresh the hearts of our brothers and sisters in Christ. And sometimes that looks like a messy situation of reconciliation and bringing the gospel of grace to bear in that situation. We began this letter by considering what what kind of books we would include in the Bible if it were up to us. But of course, the writing of the Bible, we don't get a choice in it. God himself is its author and it is self-authenticating as his God-breathed word. In this passage of scripture today, we have seen how Paul has humbled himself by identifying himself as a prisoner for Christ. And he's exalted Philemon by proclaiming the greatness of his love and faith. This is the shape of the gospel. We humble ourselves and exalt others because Jesus Christ humbled himself so that we might be exalted. This is the pattern he's left for us. So Paul can speak into this situation confidently of a master and his runaway slave, but he does this confidently because he has the faith in the Lord Jesus Christ who has brought to him the grace and peace. Even a persecutor such as Paul has received that grace and peace. He has felt the reconciling work which the gospel does. According to the world and its standards, Paul is nothing. He's a prisoner in a lowly prison, dependent completely on others to supply him with food and even water. But in the eyes of the Lord, he is a treasured prisoner on behalf of Christ. And we need to start seeing things this way as well. According to the world and its standards, Philemon is a wealthy man, and he's entitled to many rights, even that putting to death a runaway slave. Philemon is also a brother who has shown love and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Through all of this, Paul is calling on Philemon and all the saints, all of us, to lay aside the worldly status and stations and to recognize our shared position in the Lord Jesus Christ as equal in the Lord, with no longer slave and free, no longer male or female, no longer Jew or Gentile. All of this, though, is by faith, in response to the Lord Jesus Christ, who emptied himself by taking the form of a servant and who became poor so that we might become rich through him. If you're here today and you understand your servile condition, your spiritual poverty, know that faith in the Lord Jesus Christ brings you freedom and the riches of his grace. If you're here today and you know that you have all that you have from God, Give thanks to the Lord. All things are from him. All things are through him. And all things are to him. To him alone belongs the glory forever and ever. Amen? Let's pray.
Lord Jesus, we just marvel that for sinners such as we are, all of us who are in prison by the devil and by sin, by the world and the flesh, we are those for whom you loved us, yet even when we were enemies, you sent your Son into the world. Lord Jesus, you became incarnate. Lord, you took on this condition for us. And it amazes us, and we marvel at your grace and your mercy. Lord, we pray that you would help us in gratitude to respond and to refresh the hearts of the saints by extending to them the same grace that you have given to us. We pray, Lord, that it would be heard of our church, of our love and our care for the saints. We pray, Lord, though, that you would help us to always fix our eyes on Jesus, who washes us and who serves us and who ever lives to intercede for us. It is in his name that we pray. Amen. We began by considering what books would you include in the Bible were it up to you. Well, now we can consider what sign would you give to your church? This is the sign which Jesus gives. He doesn't give us the picture to perpetually be before us of his heavenly reign and his kingship, which we do know is true. The picture he gives to us is of his humility, of his death for us. Everything he did, his blood poured out, and his body broken. This meal is for those who trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. At this table, there is not slave or free. There is not Jew or Gentile. There is not male or female. There's not executive either and poor college student. There is the grace and peace of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he gives to all those who have faith in him. But it is a family table. It is for our brothers and sisters in Christ. It's for those who have been baptized who are trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ, repenting of their sins and are members in a faithful body of Christ. If that doesn't describe you, I would ask that you would let these elements pass by. We would not want it to become a curse, what is meant to be a blessing. But I would also say, this gospel is for all those who believe. Don't let Christ pass by, but see this image of what he did for you, what he did for all of us, and receive him by faith. Let us now go to the Lord and ask him to bless these ordinary elements to our spiritual benefit. Lord Jesus Christ, by nature we're an arrogant people. So we're thankful that you give us this symbol of your humility. We thank you that you humbled yourself by being born in that in a low condition, being made under law, enduring the wrath and the curse of God, even the cursed death of the cross, and remaining under the power of death for a time. Lord, but how thankful we are that you were raised, and that you are glorious, and you give to us from heaven this heavenly meal. We pray that through this, through these ordinary elements, that you would enrich us by your Spirit. Lord, humble us that we may be exalted. We thank you so much for your person and work. 
no hope without it, Lord Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.